well, uh, like she said, my name's Jake. I'm excited to be here. I'm from Kansas, so I'm excited to be anywhere. <laughs> right? I mean, okay, now, growing up in Kansas, uh, I grew up on a cattle ranch. And growing up on a cattle ranch in Kansas, I had one goal in life. To be a cowboy. Close, Ian, close. To be a cowboy. That's what I wanted to do. Like some kids growing up, they want to be a doctor, a teacher, a superstar, NFL player. They want to be the president, something like that. I wanted to be a cowboy. And so actually, I started competing at a county rodeo. And at the age of five, I won my first trophy. Now, this trophy meant the world to me. Like, I was taking it to show and tell. I was showing all my friends. They were getting annoyed. I didn't care. It literally had its own special shelf in my room. Now, a few years after I won this trophy, I go off to college. And while I'm at college, my parents... Yeah, some of you got that one. While I'm at college, my parents move homes. They move homes. And I come home on Christmas break to find out that my favorite trophy in the entire world had been put in a box. So what do I do? I take the trophy out of the box, and I start reliving the glory days. Like music's playing in the background. I'm showing all my family. I get to my parents. I'm like, Mom, Dad, do you remember when I won this trophy? How awesome was that? And my mom, she just looks at me, and she goes, Honey, you know that trophy's fake, right? She explains to me the trophy I was holding was an extra one they got from the neighbors they gave to me to make me think that I had won. (laughs) That's a sick thing to do to a five-year-old. My world came crashing down. I was devastated. Like, I didn't care what else they told me in that moment because my entire world had been wrapped around this trophy that I found out to be fake. And I want to point something out to you guys. You guys as campus staff, the traveling team, and every single person in this room is living for a trophy. And what none of us want to do is get to the end of our lives, stand before the judgment seat, and find out from God that what we gave our life to was a fake trophy. Because the world is a fake trophy factory. And for the rest of your college careers and the rest of your lives, it'll tell you you have to live for your GPA. You have to boost your resume. You have to live for your career. And in the end, you have to be living out the American dream. And all of us know we can take none of those things with us when we go. So my challenge for you tonight is this. To live for what lasts. To live for what lasts. See, God's word is clear. There are only three things that last for all of eternity. That is God, God's word, and the souls of people. And the only way, the only way to guarantee that I don't live for a fake trophy is to align my purpose with God's purpose. To align my purpose with God's purpose. And tonight I want to prove to you. I want to prove to you that the Bible that we have is not 66 separate books. But the Bible that you and I read is one book, one book with one theme, that God has a heart for all nations. Tonight, I want to reveal to you the heart of God. That's what I want to do. I want to use the entire Bible to prove it. Are you guys ready to go from Genesis to Revelation in like 15 minutes? All right, hold on to your seats. I'm going to fly. I'm going to start where God starts. 
Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve. The very first command ever given to mankind was this, Genesis 1.28, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. What happens? Well, man sins. It gets so bad, God hits the reset button, floods the entire earth, and starts over again with Noah. You know what Noah and his family hear as they come off the ark? God says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Why does God repeat himself? Because God, from the very first chapter of the Bible, desires to see this world filled with worshipers who know and love him. That's his plan from the very beginning. We come to Genesis chapter 11, the Tower of Babel, and literally God scatters the nations around the world. And that's the context we have when we look at Genesis chapter 12. When we look at Genesis chapter 12, we find out that Genesis chapter 12 may be one of the most foundational chapters in the entire Bible. Because here in Genesis chapter 12, God looks down and he chooses one man and his family in order to make his purpose happen. The guy he chooses is a guy named Abram, better known as Abraham. This is what God says. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. See, guys, God looks down and says, bro, I'm going to hook you up. And we know the greatest blessing that we have from God is a gift of a relationship with him that comes later through his son. But God looks down at Abraham and says, dude, I'm going to hook you up. But don't miss this. It's not just for you. See, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all nations, and all nations on earth will be blessed through you. Here in Genesis chapter 12, God sets up a pattern. He sets up a pattern that looks like this, that we are blessed to be a blessing. That we are blessed to be a blessing. See, God pours out grace freely. You don't have to earn his grace. But the recipient of that grace and that blessing is never intended to be the final destination. The grace has come because it's on its way to somebody else. That's the pattern God sets up here in Genesis chapter 12. That he will pour out blessing upon blessing on his people, his church, his family but it's not intended to stop with them. It's to make them, in turn, be a blessing to all nations. That's the pattern he uses the rest of history. Get used to this phrase, all nations on earth, because God only repeats it several hundred times throughout Scripture. That same promise comes to his son, Abraham's son, Isaac. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. To his grandson, Jacob, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. See, from generation to generation, God is pushing this promise forward. He is teaching his people that I will bless you, I will make you abundant, so that you will be a blessing to all nations. It's even in the famous Bible stories. Who in here has heard of the story of David and Goliath? Most of us. Okay. Now, if you haven't heard of this story or you're a little fuzzy on the details, let me sum it up for you. Short dude, tall dude, awesome headshot. Come on. That's the story of David and Goliath, right? Now, I always thought that this story was in the Bible for me to understand that when God is on my side, there's nothing that can stand against me. 
And that's partially true. But you know, that's not the main theme of this story. Friends, David understood even before he went out on the battlefield why God was going to bless him with victory. Look at what he says to Goliath as he approaches him. This is what he says. This day I will strike you down, Goliath, and the whole world. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Friends, David understood God's not blessing me for me. God's blessing me to use me to make his name famous among all nations. Do you know how I prove that to be true? Who in here has heard of the story of David and Goliath? God's still using that story thousands of years later, thousands of miles away to make his name famous. You don't even have to have gone to church to have heard that story. It is the plot of every sports movie ever made. (laughs) Right? It continues with Moses in the exodus out of Egypt. I have raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh, that I might show you my power, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Maybe we grew up going to church. Maybe we didn't. But we've probably heard Bible stories, some more than others. Uh, Have you guys heard of these? Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the fiery furnace, the Ten Commandments, Jonah in the whale, all of them. Moses included, all have the same theme, that God is pouring out his blessing on his people so that God would be made famous among all nations. It's the consistent theme throughout Scripture. It's even in the Psalms. Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Come on, we like that. I like that. I like when God blesses me. I mean, I love it when his face shines upon me, but help me out. That's not a period. That's a period with a tail. It's called a comma. It means the sentence keeps going. God, why do you bless me so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations? We are blessed to be a blessing. It's even in the prophets. Isaiah 49 says this. It is too small a thing. It is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. I will also make you a light to the nations so that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. You know what God's saying here? God's looking down. He says, it is too small a thing for you to reach your own people. See, if my vision is to reach all of USC, maybe the entire state of California, or the entire United States for Christ... That's a good vision. But yet God says it is still too small. Because God's heart doesn't stop at the state line. His heart doesn't stop at the Pacific Ocean. God's heart encompasses the entire world. And he wants our heart to look the same. So it doesn't stop here. But it starts here. It starts in your sororities, your dorms, fraternities, intramural teams, people you hang out with, go to class with, your teachers, professors. It starts here. But what God wants us to see is that it doesn't stop here. God wants us to set our goal a little further, to be more in line with his goal, to be more in line with his heart. So let's reach this campus for Christ, but don't let that be the end. Let's reach this campus for Christ so that God will be made famous among all nations, because that's what he's doing. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I had a bunch of toy tractors. 
don't know if any of you guys did, but I would do some major work with these suckers. Like, I would plow the carpet. I had corn on one side, beans on the other, my little red barn, a plastic cow. Work. But every time Dad would come inside and say, hey, son, you want to come to work with me? I always went. Because that meant I got to drive a real tractor. He would walk me outside. He would set me on the side of this huge honking green thing. He would climb up behind me, and I'd begin to steer. Now, was I actually driving this tractor? No. No. Thank you. No. Because if I was actually driving this tractor, something tragic would have happened. I'd have driven through a fence, over a cow, into a pond, like something bad. But my dad was always sitting right behind me. He was always making sure we were on the right track. Why do dads take their children to work with them? It doesn't make sense. It always causes more work for the father, right? It causes more time, more effort. So why do they do it? Because. Because it brings a dad so much joy. It brings a dad so much joy to have his children come to work with them. They absolutely love taking their children and having them join them on what they are already doing. It brings them delight and it brings them joy. You know, it's no different for our Father in Heaven. Friends, He absolutely loves taking His children to work with Him. And when we join Dad and we jump in the tractor with Him, guys, we join something that is so much bigger than ourselves. We join Him on what He is doing around the world. Hear me on this, because this is important. If I don't join dad and jump in the tractor with him, it's nothing more than playing with toys on the carpet. Because the things of this world do not last. Don't hear me say you can't use your major to glorify God. That's not what I'm saying right now. But what I want you to do is check the motivation behind why you're pursuing that degree. Why are you wanting that career? Because if my main motivation was to go to Kansas State University to get my animal science degree so I could live on a cattle ranch, make a lot of money, and bless myself, that's a fake trophy. But if my main motivation was to go to USC to get my business degree, whatever it might be, so that God could use me in that profession to make his name famous among all nations, that's not a fake trophy. So I want you to check the motivation behind why are you pursuing that degree? Is it to glorify your name or his? Because in the end, as we turn the page and we flip into the New Testament, we find four books specifically on Jesus' life. Now, Jesus' life was the perfect picture of a father and a son going to work together. But maybe, maybe the best place to see God's heart for the world is to go to the most famous verse in the entire Bible. John 3.16. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. You know, my whole life, my whole life I've been taught to plug my name right there where it says the world. For God so loves Jake. And that is absolutely true. 
Friends, God loves me so much. God loves each and every single person in here so much that if you were the last person on earth, he still would have sent his son just the same. That is scandalous love. And that's how much he loves every single one of us. You know the problem I ran into, though? Was that I never took my name back out. I always left it, for God so loved Jake. Because as blessings came to me, they stopped with me. And that's not how God designed it. We are blessed to be a blessing. It's the same picture when we look at the cross. 1 John 2.2 says this, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now this is the gospel. The gospel is that God at the cross took our sins and our wrath and the punishment that was for us, and he placed it on his son. And then he took his son's righteousness along with grace and mercy and placed it on us. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And you can't separate the gospel from God's heart for the world. Because he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus came to earth for one reason. That was to die on a cross. But he died on a cross for the sins of the entire world. And he looks down and says to me, Jake, my heart is for all nations, is yours. After he died, he spent three days in the grave. Then he rose and he walked on earth for 40 days. And in those 40 days, we got what we call the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations. Now, this has been termed the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. But it sounds very similar in Mark. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. In Luke, repentance and forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In John, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. And in Acts... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, the Great Commission was recorded five times in five different books of the Bible. Why? Because Jesus knows my heart. He knows my heart's deceitful. He knows that if he left it one verse at the end of Matthew, I would tend to make it an option. But he tells me very clearly, no, Jake, it's a command. See, he is sending me the same way that he was sent. Jesus was a light to the nations. And I am sent in the same way. It literally took somebody showing me this. They sat me down. They walked me through the Bible. And they looked and they showed me all these verses that prove God's heart is for all nations. That he is calling his people to take part in what he is doing. It's a lot like the Big Dipper. Now, it's pretty bright in L.A., but you guys probably all know where the Big Dipper is, right? Like, you probably know where it is, but there was a time in your life where you didn't, and somebody had to show you. I remember when somebody first showed me. I was seven years old. I was seven years old. It was me and my older brother. We were standing in our barn. Now, my brother's five years older than me, so he's much wiser, right? It's 11 o'clock at night, and we begin to walk back to the house. We get about halfway back, and my bro stops and he looks at me and says, Hey, Jake, do you know where the Big Dipper is? And I'm seven. So I'm like, Of course I do. And I just reached up and pointed and said, Dude, the Big Dipper is right over there. And like any good big brother would do, he looks at me and he says, You're an idiot. 
That's the moon. (laughs) Then he takes my hand and he drags it all the way across the sky. And he starts to point out all the dots that make up the Big Dipper. And I guarantee you this. Every night that I've been out since, I know exactly where the Big Dipper is. That's the Big Dipper. That's the moon. That's the Big Dipper. That's the moon. (laughs) Like once you see it one time, you can never unsee it again. Am I right? And that is my heart and prayer for everyone in here tonight. As we walk throughout Scripture, pulling out just a few of the verses that prove God's heart is for all nations through the entire Bible, that for the rest of your life, you would never read your Bible the same again. Every time you open it up, you would see that God has been on one mission, and he is inviting me to be a part of it. Does God need our help? No. Does he delight to have us take part in what he is doing? Absolutely. And as we continue to connect some dots uh, through the scriptures, I want to connect a few dots on the map as well. See, there's a part of the world called the 1040 window. Now, uh, it might be hard to see uh, towards the back, but that legend at the bottom says each separate red dot represents 50,000 non-Christians. So are there needs around the world? Yes. The map shows that. But the reason I talk about the 1040 window, which goes from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, from West Africa all the way through past East Asia, because in this part of the world is where 97%, 97% of the world's unreached people live. Unreached doesn't mean unsaved. When we talk about unsaved, we just mean they don't follow Jesus. There's unsaved people all over this campus that need to hear the truth about Jesus. When we talk about unreached, we talk about they are unsaved and they also have little or no access to the gospel. 97%, that's around 3 billion people that have little or no access to the gospel. That means they will be born, live their entire lives going to school, starting a family, having a career, and then and they won't hear the gospel once that we talk about in this room every week. And when somebody showed me this picture, I realized I needed to change something. I needed to change my lifestyle. I needed to change what I was living for because what I was living for wasn't that. And Jesus loves them. He died for them. Now, I want every single red dot to know and follow Jesus. But I for sure want those who have never had access to have access in the first place. That's what the world looks like right now. The 1040 window. 97% of the world's unreached live there. But don't be discouraged. Because that's not the end of the story. Why? Because we worship a God who cannot fail. But Paul says this is a problem. See, Paul even talks about unreached people in Romans 10. Look what he says in Romans 10. How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone going and preaching to them? And how are they to go and preach unless they are sent? Paul talks about unreached people. And he says, there are two ways. There are two ways that we jump in the tractor with dad and join him on what he is doing around the world. We either go or we send. We go and we send. Now, Natalie talked about it a second ago. We're having a part two. The part two is the practical next steps, the train tracks for you to run on. How do we live this out as college students, freshmen, sophomore, junior, senior, whatever major? How do I live this out during college and for the rest of my life? So the part two is going to be all about that. It's about 15, 20 minutes long uh, right after the meeting so you guys can realize, okay, I can do this. I can do this now. 
Whether I've been a believer a long time uh, or maybe I'm a brand new believer, I can be a part of what God's doing right here at USC. So I encourage every single one of you to stick around for the part two. But let me highlight something. Uh, Going here, reaching out to international students, that's something I missed out on. I didn't realize that until my fifth year of college. And I regret that because international students were some of my closest friends now. Every time I go home, I hang out with my Muslim international students from Saudi Arabia. And international student ministry is so strategic. It's so strategic. They, some of them come from the parts of the world uh, that are in the 1040 window. And this is the best place for them to hear the truth about Jesus. Going there, taking your summer. I encourage every single person in here to give a summer uh, during college. You'll never have another free one. Uh, after you graduate, unless you're a teacher. Uh, but you'll never have another free summer. And go with uh, Christian Challenge. Take opportunities to get cross-cultural experience, whether that's here at Project Impact uh, or one of their three chips, trips that they are providing overseas. Uh, and we can also send by praying and giving. And that's what we're going to talk about in the part two. But hear, what, hear, hear me out. Every time, every time I put that slide up on the screen, automatically in my mind, I begin to think, A team, B team. Varsity, JV. And that's not true. See, it is not true that somebody who goes as a missionary is more spiritual or a better Christian than somebody who stays behind and prays and gives. It's not true. But in the same way, in the same way that it is not more spiritual to go it should be no less sacrificial to send. Hear me on that? Now, God is a creative God, and he can use whatever major in here to make his name famous. So take him up on that. But I told you a second ago, the 1040 window is not the end of the story. Why? Because we know what heaven looks like. And heaven looks like this, Revelation 7-9. I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Friends, heaven is going to be one big multicultural worship service to Jesus. Contrary to popular belief, it is not going to be much Americans singing Chris Tomlin songs. (laughs) It's going to be so much better than that. All the nations will be there. I think Lecrae will make a guest appearance because he's that good. But all the nations... All the nations will be there worshiping at the foot of the Lamb. And what we have to ask ourselves is are we going to be a part of that? Am I going to be a part of that? Are you going to be a part of that? Paul says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, they will do it for a crown that will not last, but we will do it for a crown that lasts forever. My challenge at the beginning was this, to live for what lasts. To live for what lasts. All of scripture and all of history is moving to make that happen. And God's inviting us to be a part of it. He is. And I guarantee you that's the best life possible. Now, on your seats when you guys walked in, there was a card. Uh, Go ahead and pull it out. It's a card that looks a lot like this. On the front side, the dark side, is most of the mission verses that we went through. This is a great resource for you. to Go through it yourself. Take your friends through it. Go through it with your Bible study. Highlight the Big Dipper throughout Scripture. But the back side is what I want to talk about. Go ahead and turn to the light side. Now, the lighter side says, I commit myself to being a cross-cultural goer 
and a sacrificial sender. And what does this commitment mean? Does it mean I book my one-way ticket to Ooga Booga Land tomorrow or give 100% of my money to missions? Well, I'm not, no, but if you go, I'm not going to stop you. Uh, no, this commitment simply means that, God, I want to take the next step. God, I want to take that next step in being a goer and a sender. I may not know what that looks like yet. So I'm going to come to the traveling team's part two and learn about how, how to do that. That commitment will look different for every single person in this room. But in a second, I'm going to close us in prayer. And I'm going to ask that if you're committing to this for the first time, or maybe you've made this commitment in the past and you are living it out, I want, I'm going to have you guys raise your hands, and I just want to pray over you as we close. Okay? So go ahead, close your eyes, bow your heads. And if you're making that commitment, to go and to send or maybe start taking steps to do those things, whatever it looks like, whether that's uh, starting a world prayer group, praying for the nations, maybe it's going this summer to Project Impact with Christian Challenge, whatever that looks like for you to take next steps to join Dad, would you go ahead and take your card, raise it way up high above your head and hold it up, and I just want to pray over you. So you can go ahead and raise them now. If you want to jump in the tractor with Dad and join him on what he is doing around the world, you can raise your cards now. Wow. Wow, God, you are awesome. I thank you for the hands that are around the room that are raised. I thank you that you want and desire to use this campus and this ministry and these students to make your name famous among all nations. I pray that we would realize that the unifying theme throughout Scripture of your heart for the nations is the unifying thing that brings the body of Christ together and that we could all join you in what you're doing whether being a goer or a sender or whatever it might be. And so, God, I love you. I praise you because you are worthy of praise. And I just pray a blessing over this ministry and these college students um, so that you would continue to use them and, and, and use them here on this campus and for the rest of their lives around the world. In your name I pray. Amen.